Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. Here's your host, Moyes Jiwa. Born soon after the Chernobyl accident, Jan Liefman suffered the effects of radiation for the first few years of his life. The diagnosis was only made when his family moved to New York. Since then, he has qualified as a physician and a researcher. In this podcast, he talks about how Chernobyl has had an impact on all that he does and all that he hopes to achieve in the years ahead. Here is Jan Liefman. Jan Liefman, I'm delighted to have the opportunity to spend some time with you. I want to start with a date that's very important, 26th of April, 1986. Can you say something about where your family was on that date? I wasn't born at that time. I was born several years later. And I was born 70 miles away from the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. I was born in a country called Belarus. And we essentially were 70 miles away from the nuclear power plant. But during that time, the government had individuals, my parents included, volunteer within the area of Chernobyl to provide respite and support to those affected by it. And at that time, my mom was pregnant with me. And although initially everything was fine, about two years after I was born, I began to become symptomatic. And I had these wide symptoms that included things like diffuse lymphadenopathy, weeping wounds and cysts all over my body. And we would go from clinic to clinic, hospital to hospital. And sadly, no one was able to diagnose me and much less treat me. Even in the largest and most advanced hospital in the former Soviet Union, I was the interesting patient with physicians coming from all over the country to take a look at me, but none, none could offer me a diagnosis, nor could offer me any respite either. Eventually, I was put on palliative care and my condition retrograded by the day. And even now, I still remember those feelings of helplessness, just like it was yesterday. But, but my parents, they were there for me. And they inspired me to never give up. And really, I'm alive today because of them. I'm alive because they connected me with life-saving care abroad. And it was really the medical staff's warm and proficient care that not only saved me, but also led me to find purpose and really an appreciation for the medical field. And that really was what led me down that path. And now I'm a physician today. You say that it was two years after Chernobyl that you were in the healthcare system and they were struggling to make the diagnosis. And yet we know that they must at least have had some inkling that given where you were living at the time of this disaster, that this might have had an impact on your condition. Did you get any sense for that? 
It was really when I was getting treatment abroad that being away from the disaster, I made essentially a full recovery because back in the hospital where I was getting treatment, my condition was regressing by the day. And really, as I had stated a few minutes ago, I was basically put on palliative care. And really, it was when you take a person out of that environment and their bodies are allowed to heal. And then when I came back, I got sick again. So that kind of was the red flag, one would say, that triggered my parents to start thinking it's probably time to move. And so thankfully, obviously not without hurdles, uh, we immigrated to the United States. You talk really warmly about healthcare and what it had to offer you at that time. Tell us a little bit about that, because here you were presumably a diagnostic enigma, and yet you feel very warmly towards the doctors and the healthcare system that supported you. What was it about that experience that was particularly helpful? I wouldn't necessarily place it in that context. I would say that I acknowledge and understand the circumstances that I was in. The healthcare system in the region where I was born was essentially that of a third world country. Basically, if one were to go to a physician, one would have to bring their own supplies, whether it's gauze, bandages, syringes, even needles. But I understand the circumstances that were placed there. And I understand that likely they may have been unable to diagnose me because they'd never seen anything that I had oh, in the way that I presented. Now, I wish that they could have done more. I wish they could have helped us and connected us with Care Abroad. But the onus was really left on my parents to do that part. And really, I'm alive today because of my parents, because of their, because of their advocacy for me. That resonates with many of our guests because they describe similar circumstances where a diagnosis of a rare condition is made because of their advocacy. It's made because somebody points out that the pattern here doesn't fit with whatever it is that was in the mind of the physician and it could be something different. And you seem to be saying that that was the case here. Did your parents see that there might have been some connection between the exposure to radiation and your condition? They had a suspicion, but one also needs to acknowledge something else, the political circumstances of the time. One was not allowed to speak about the catastrophe, and the government basically silenced everyone. And so wanting to survive in there, they kept that to themselves. And really, it was working within the situation. So when they got abroad, how was it that the diagnosis was eventually made and you got the help that you needed? 
Well, I would have to say that I'm blessed that I was amongst good physicians. I don't recall the exact details of how the diagnosis was made, but I'm happy that it was made. I'm happy that I was treated. And largely, I feel the biggest difference was being away from that environment because even when we were leaving the former Soviet Union to immigrate to the United States, if you used a, a Geiger counter, there was radiation within the area. And that was several years after Chernobyl. So that thought did not escape us. Additionally, within the area where I lived, many individuals were affected by Chernobyl in various ways. Even those that had a very clean health history, no additional health conditions, and really a very, and really a family history without any significant health conditions suddenly would develop things like cancers left and right. Some people died very early and it really became an anomaly of how all of this could happen, but it did. Well, first of all, we're delighted that you were able to get the help that you needed. Tell us what happened in the years that followed. So you, you presumably had your childhood in the United States, your education. How did you develop from there? The one thing was, I never forgot where I came from. And I never forgot that I was lucky to be alive. I was amongst the sole survivors in the largest hospital in the former Soviet Union. And because of that, I really appreciated life early on. You never forget going through the hardships. You never forget seeing death. But very few are able to escape from its fangs. And largely, I escaped unscathed. And so in the back of my mind, in many ways, my survival really laid the foundation for me wanting to pursue a career in medicine and wanting to be a vehicle of change. And when I got into high school, I enrolled in a very competitive program called the Medical Sciences Institute. And that really laid the foundation uh, for my exposure to medicine and research. And so a part of that program, they gave us an opportunity to engage in research. So I began doing research really at the age of 16. And I graduated with a senior thesis in high school. And essentially, I've been in research ever since. So to this point, I have about 17 years of research experience spanning a wide, wide areas in medicine. But really, my inspiration for engaging in research was looking around and saying, you know, I'm lucky to be alive, but you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so I want to use the talents that I have, use the time that I have on this planet to make a difference now. People are dying today. People are getting sick today. We need cures today. 
not in 10, not in 15 years after I'm done with my training. And really that's what kind of laid the foundation and parlayed uh, where I am today. The Health Design Podcast is hosted by the Journal of Health Design, an alliance with unfixed media and mental health. You described the healthcare system where you came from as third world, and presumably that really means that it was very poor in terms of the ability to serve the people that it was meant to serve. One of the problems in healthcare is that it has become a business. It has become a way for corporations to make an awful lot of money out of people's suffering. How do you approach that question when you're doing research that potentially could lead to commercial outputs? I can't speak for other people, but I can speak for myself. And one thing is I never forget where I came from. And I never forget being that cute little kid hanging on to his life by a string. And that really is my motivational factor for everything that I do. I don't think about the commercialization. I don't think about the profit. I think about the impact. And the impact and the goal remains the same, save lives. And that's really what I'm all about. And while I acknowledge that there is commercialization and there is profit, if one puts profit above purpose, success will be very difficult to come by. I put the patient, their health, and their situation above everything else. And I'm passionate about giving them the best possible care and the best possible experience, being their advocate, and really doing everything in my power, where if I can't treat them, if I'm not sure, I will connect them with someone who can. I refuse to let them linger and wander, and I will not abandon a patient, especially in their most difficult of times. I want to now go to another date that is writ large on all of our minds, and that is the 11th of March, 2020, and that was the date on which COVID was declared a pandemic. Where were you at that time, and where were you in terms of your career? So I was still in medical school at that time. We were taken off of our clinical rotations and watching what was transpiring was very difficult. I'm from New York and I felt helpless having to watch as my neighbors, my family members, my friends and colleagues were on the front lines with many falling ill one by one, like dominoes to COVID. I wanted to take the lessons of Chernobyl and use them as a vehicle of strength and change. And so around that time, I was actually recruited to join the Global COVID-19 Task Force to serve initially a special advisor for immunology, oncology, and cellular therapeutics. And then in a very short time, I was given the unique opportunity to become the director of the immunology division. If if I could lead an international team of MDs, PhDs, and MD-PhDs 
to further investigate the mechanisms involved in COVID-19. We proposed one of the first cohesive mechanisms of action for SARS-CoV-2 that is still valid today. Our team was also amongst the first in the world to explain the efficacy of a promising therapy against severe COVID-19. And we were proven correct when one of the companies within the space demonstrated promising clinical data and then received US FDA fast track designation on December 1st, 2020, a week before the vaccines. Now, although I was just a medical student at that time, I was extremely proud of what we collectively were able to accomplish. So you were really you were really working in the research space and you were a medical student at the time. What were you observing that gave you the impression of another pandemic? Because similar to Chernobyl, because remember that New York was probably the worst hit state by far amongst so many, certainly in the news that we were hearing. You're 100% correct. There were so many similarities between hospitals being overwhelmed, the lack of understanding and the lack of knowledge of a virus that essentially seemed invisible. Similarly, during Chernobyl, you had radiation, an outflowing of radiation surrounding us, something you couldn't see, you couldn't taste, but it was there. And people similarly were falling ill left and right with unexplained medical conditions. And to me, it was painful, but it was painful because I felt initially like I couldn't do anything. I wanted to be on the front lines. I wanted to be there some way, shape or form using my background, using my skills to help people. But at the same time, that was not possible. And so what I've learned is when one is put in a situation, one has to think creatively and use their background and their skill set to really basically make, as I would like to say, lemonade out of the lemons that you were given. The Journal of Health Design, fostering collaboration, amplifying the voice of health advocates, growing a network to improve outcomes in healthcare. And so I knew that I had a strong research background. I knew that this opportunity working with the Global COVID Task Force, a collective team of department chairs and global leaders in healthcare, in medicine, physicians on the front lines was an important opportunity. And to learn from them learn from the mentorship that they provided me was and continues to be an invaluable experience. And so I was able to bring my background, each person brought their background, and collectively our diversity became our greatest strength. And that really is what led to our success and to essentially uh, a mechanism for COVID-19 that still reigns true today. What was the outcome? What was the patient benefit from the work that you've done, as far as you could tell? In order for one to find therapies, one needs to know how a disease works, how a disease operates, what makes it tick. And so essentially, we were able to collectively do that. By figuring out what makes this disease tick, 
other individuals in that space, companies within that space were able to build upon our mechanism and help to develop therapies, help to develop innovations. But I can't uh, directly say which ones used it, which ones didn't. But I will say that our publication made the front cover of shock and it was actually printed in uh, July of 2020. So several months after COVID was declared a pandemic. Jan, where to from here? How do you see your career developing, particularly with reference to, as you say, where you've come from and given the skills that you've developed since that time? So I'm still a trainee, but I build upon the lessons of everything in life. I was taught to turn every negative into a positive, learn from every situation, whether good, bad, or in between. I envision myself in pursuing a career in medicine with a specialty in oncology and cellular therapeutics and immunotherapy. But that is down the line. And I can and I envision myself continuing to engage in research and continuing to hopefully be involved in some way, shape, or form in pioneering the next generation of therapies to reduce suffering and offer respite to the ill. We know that to, to an extent, some people who were most at risk of COVID did not get access to the vaccine for many, many reasons. How will you as a scientist approach the issue of equity in healthcare? I realize that equity still remains a problem. And so during this pandemic, I've actually built a platform, a health education platform to deliver verified scientific information on a weekly basis to individuals globally for free. It's called Med News Week. And my goal is to educate the world in an engaging platform so that they can know the truth about healthcare in an unbiased fashion without any conflicts of interest. Jan Leifman, you embodied the value of migrants in a way that many of us are extremely proud You've come from a very difficult situation and contributed to the community that has embraced you and treated you for what was a very difficult illness. We hope that your career will continue to thrive and that you will be able to develop innovations that will be of value, not just to those who have, but to those who have not. As you say, you came from exactly that place. Thank you, and we wish you all the very best. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. The Health Design Podcast, serving patient and physician advocates. Visit us at journalofhealthdesign.com.